Hello everyone, welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Today we are going to be talking primarily about user interface, UI, design in video games. What makes a good one? What makes a bad one? Uh, before we get into that though, we're going to be talking about some interesting stories from the week. First of all, I think the biggest one. Uh, Reggie Fisame, the president of Nintendo of America, a well-beloved figure in the executive world of video games, <laughs> yep. is retiring. He's peacing out. He's going to spend the rest of his life on yachts and yep. lavish vacations. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, most importantly, jokes aside with his friends and family. Uh, just enjoying all that money he's made. All that money. Um, he will be replaced by a very appropriately named Doug Bowser. Yes, that's as, right. Yes. As the new president of Nintendo of America. <laughs> um, yeah, congrats to him, man. Um, Reggie, I remember uh, a couple years ago, he was he was kind of technically demoted. He he used to be the president and CEO of Nintendo America, and then the president of Nintendo Japan kind of took over the CEO job of Nintendo of America, something like that. And he he was mostly just left as essentially the spokesperson for the last couple of years. And um, like you know, it was cool. But I guess I kind of I'm not too surprised given how that all happened that he's like you know. He's 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 ready to call it quits. Yeah. I consider him part of the um the like the the holy trinity of Nintendo with Satoru Iwata, him and Shigeru Miyamoto, and they're all one by one just like phasing out, phasing out, phasing out. And I, you know Miyamoto, he's he's going to be retiring soon too, and it's going to be really sad. All the people we grew up with, they're they're just kind of leaving on to other yeah. things. Yeah, Reggie was a really interesting guy to me. Like, yeah, he is a passionate gamer himself. And during kind of sort of like that phase of Nintendo's history, when he came on the scene for like the launch of the DS and the Wii, mm. um, that's kind of like what their executive board, they had a lot of gamers in there. Uh, Satoru Iwata was a game designer yeah. before he became president. Yeah, right? he wasn't like a... A lifetime CEO or, you know. Yeah, he wasn't just like a businessman came yeah, in business to like man. run the business. He was a game designer who yeah. was leading the company. And uh, Reggie, likewise, was a passionate gamer. He loves playing video games. Yeah. And he had this... He, he's he's real... He's like, a, he's like a large, imposing guy, like broad-shouldered, like big dude. He's pretty tall, but, yeah. But Especially he's like, around all the Japanese people he was around. <laughs> he was like quite a bit taller than them. He's like the softest... Yeah, he seems um, to be. Like just teddy bear type of guy, just real nice and likable. No. But like when he came on, especially on the scene at first, he was like trying to come across like... Like his first words were, I'm Reggie and I'm here to kick ass and take names <laughs> so trying to like be like hardcore <laughs> and so he became like a meme sort yeah. of but like a meme that ev everyone is not like making fun of him in the sense of like you don't like and make fun of him it's not like malicious but like right the 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 beloved type of meme like we everyone loves reggie 
and and his body is ready because he's he's oh my body is ready like became my a meme. body is he ready yeah that's ex- the um yeah i can't remember what movie that came from but yeah an extremely like memeable persona mm-hmm. that i think the community is really gonna miss yeah. um and uh i don't know much about this doug bowser guy um but he has the right name for the job obviously sure i but, have heard uh, i've seen his name before i've just i didn't realize he was like next in line so to speak <laughs> so <clears throat> i want to just reflect real quick on the the nintendo e3 2004 press conference which is probably in my opinion the best press conference in the history of e3 nintendo that year like absolutely freaking nailed it with their conference this was the year that they announced uh, Metroid Prime Echoes, mm. Resident Evil 4, Twilight oh, Princess. Yeah. Like, mm. it was crazy. And so you had uh, Shigeru Miyamoto come on the stage with Sword and Shield as they announced Twilight yeah, Princess. I and they were returning that. to that aesthetic and everyone's yeah. freaking out. And uh, this was Reggie's first appearance uh, as... Um, well, I don't know if he was yet the, the president of Nintendo. I think he was probably in a similar position to what Doug Bowser had been in previous to now. Mm. But anyways, about 127 into the video here, we get Reggie come on stage for his infamous, or, or famous, I should say, first words. But they showed a, a bunch of games there, and everyone's hyped up, right? And his first appearance. My name is Reggie. I'm about kicking ass, I'm about taking names, and we're about making games. <laughs> that it's was so it. nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> but like then they do a show reel of like all these cool games they're making, right? This was kind of at a time I'm gonna turn it down a little bit. This is kind of at a time where Nintendo I mean this was before the Wii was announced, this is still GameCube era, basically. But the DS was announced, I think, around this time. But they're competing with, like, Halo. You know, this is a time when Halo was, like, at its peak. That's right. And, like, realistic uh, cinematic shooters were kind of the thing. And so, you know, they came into this press conference with Metroid Prime and Resident Evil 4. I skipped ahead a little bit. They were kind of taking more of that edgy tone. Mm-hmm. To to what they were doing, which they did a hard reversal on when they kind of announced like the Wii and stuff later. Oh yeah, it was a whole blue ocean strategy. Yeah. But but this was okay. So they're talking about the Nintendo DS. He's showing that off. But then towards the end, when they announce Twilight Princess and they show it, and then uh, Shigeru Miyamoto comes out on the stage. This was like the hypest moment in the history of E3, dude. I was so freaking like losing my mind because this was right around the time where like streaming video was starting to become normal so i was like watching it on my computer for the first time watching e3 and saw this and i was just like holy crap yeah so awesome and then he comes out he's in shadow this is around uh 44 minutes in. yeah i'm in there ladies and yeah. gentlemen please welcome shigeru, shigeru miyamoto, miyamoto. <laughs> And he swings the sword. Anyways, this was an amazing E3. For Nintendo. And he's left-handed, nice. <laughs> yes. And it just kind of takes me back. I mean, this is how long ago it was that Reggie sort of, like, came onto the scene. And uh, he's been with him for a long time. A lot of good memories with, with him. We wish him the best. 
Reggie's a beast. Dude, he's speaking English. Yes, Shigeru Mimo is speaking English. Isn't that crazy? I, you never hear him speak English. <laughs> anyways. Uh, wow. Anyways, we, we wish the wish the best to him, but uh, also yeah, Reggie, excited man. to see, see what I wouldn't Doug be surprised if we see him pop up again in a few years doing something else big, you know? Yeah. He's awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, one thing we forgot to talk about last week when we were doing the Nintendo Direct stuff is Aninaki, which is oh. the the new um, RPG Factory game. That's right. That's right. Yeah, people um, about that. So people were, you know, wanting to know our <clears throat> thoughts on that a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll you get this part out of the way first. And <clears throat> this is no secret for people who have been following our thoughts on RPG Factory, but. Um, They've kind of had two in a row games that, like, had the had the right like idea. I feel, yeah, had, like their heart was in the right place, but just like it was real boring. It's like <laughs> we like where they're going. We like what they're trying to do. We love yes. that. We we don't love what they've done so far. Yeah, but we love that they're doing it and how and eventually they're going to hit it on the head. Right. Um. I am Setsuna was. You know, okay, in Lost Sphere, you played that a lot more than I did. I but, didn't um, like it. I liked I Am Setsuna a lot better. Than yeah, it just Sphere. wasn't It wasn't quite there. The look of it was pretty good. The feel, the, the intricate battle system was cool. Uh, but they, they're not there yet. But I love that they're they're going to keep doing this, apparently. You know, every year or two, they're going to have a new game. And that's sweet. Eventually, they're finally going to hit onto something. And at least they're going in the right direction, where a lot of companies aren't doing this stuff at all. So this game that they're making right <clears> now <throat> is going to be a little different. Um, from the last two. First of all, it's more of an action RPG. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a turn-based game like uh, the last two were. Secondly, one thing that people are are more excited about is that it's it's one of the members of the team is one of the three Chrono Trigger directors. Uh, Takashi Tokita is involved as like a creative producer on mm. the project. So some people are saying, oh, okay, like when I have more hope for it, you know, he's working on it. But I think not to be cynical, but to just keep things in perspective, it's the same game director as the first two and the same writer, the same writer of the story and uh, as the first two games. So Hmm. certain key personnel have not changed, but Tokita is involved in the project. And so that's something that, you know, at least... I don't know to what degree. I mean, being a creative producer, right? If you're yeah. you're producing the game, you're managing the game, and you're in the you're in the creative part of it, which I would assume is, I mean, it can mean so many things. <laughs> being a creative director or a creative producer, right? I know. Like, sometimes it's just an honorary title, honestly. Like it can Some, mean a lot of they different. They don't actually things. do anything. Yeah, it could mean like a consultant. So, you know? Yeah, I don't know exactly what his role is, but even if it is more or less boiling down to consulting, maybe he can sort of um, give them some tips that will sure. help them improve their storytelling, which is the one thing I feel they really need <clears throat> to improve upon. You know, the game looks pretty cool, and I, it's fun that they keep doing... I, what I thought was going to happen was that all of their games are going to kind of be I Am Setsuna over and over again, just like a similar battle system, kind of like what Final Fantasy was for a long time. And they haven't. They've been changing things up a lot every single time. And they're really experimenting, and it's pretty cool. I I like the way the game looks so far, uh, only Naki. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks... Yeah, it looks cool. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see more about it, and, you know, I might might play this one. This one looks pretty good. 
there's an interview with Famitsu um, asking kind of about how about the process of how the game sort of became a uh, an action RPG or whatever. Yeah. Um, so Famitsu asks, how did it end up becoming an action RPG? And the director, who is uh, Atsushi Hashimoto, says, at first I tried making an RPG with a lone protagonist. I even threw in a drawing of Dragon Quest One in the drafts. Uh, since there wasn't going to be any party members, I thought about throwing in job elements and looked into all kinds of things. Hmm. Uh, then we have the producer here saying, so I so I said, wouldn't an action RPG be better with this plan? This reminds me a little bit of like uh, Terranigma. And actually, I think we've talked about this in the past too. Like action RPGs are usually better for lone protagonist games. If you have a party of people and you make it an action RPG, you have to like sacrifice the ability to control like all the characters in your party, right? Because you can only control one guy at a time in like a real-time yeah. action-based thing. Yeah, there's pluses and minuses, yeah. So if you're going to do that, you know, having a single character or a single protagonist uh, usually works. So he was mm. trying to make a turn-based RPG with a single protagonist, and people were like, hey, why don't we make this into an action RPG instead? Th think like Terranigma, um, you know, mm. games like that where you have just one one person you're controlling all the time. Uh, he goes on to say, even within the team, many have voiced their desire for an action RPG, so it wasn't like uh, Sasaki-san used his voice of authority, but he simply pushed the discussion. Actually, when making I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere, we made it in a way that action RPGs are made, with hit collisions in battle using skill range and such. Also, we could possibly make an action RPG in the future. Um, so, yeah. They, they're making it into an action game. I'm going to put the game on screen a little bit here so you guys can see what it looks like. Um, but in that interview, he goes on to say that uh, they're focusing more on story elements. Um, and so it seems to me like they're moving in a direction that might be better suited for what they're making. Like the aesthetic, like the, the, the model design is very similar uh, to I Am Setsuna and to Lost Sphere. Um, but the, the trailer seems to indicate sort of like a more focused experience on the world and the story. Um, yeah, it so seems much, to indicate that, yeah. Not, and and, and a more of an original thing, not so much as trying to call back and say, oh, we're making something like Chrono Trigger. Exactly, exactly. Or we're trying to make yeah. something from your trial childhood and bring it back. Mm. It's like this is sort of theirs, you know, like they're not making it based on something else or trying to recapture something else, but just something that they are making from within themselves, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, you know, three strike policy would apply here <laughs> for me. Uh, if this sucks, then I'm not going to give them another chance. Right. But I think that they seem to understand well, I like action RPGs anyways, so sure, yeah. I, I prefer them over turn-based combat. So that already excites me. But, you know, the fact that they've they've stated, you know, we're going to be focusing more on the story this time, and, and the trailer seems to indicate that to me, um, I, I have a little bit more hope that this will be a better experience than the last two. So I'm hopeful, but I am also probably going to wait a little bit to see you know, what the reviews say, that sort of thing, before I end up, like, I'm not going to, like, buy this the second it's available kind of a thing, right? Hmm. But it looks cool. I think it looks all right. Yeah, so, it does. 
This is the kind of look of a game that I really like, honestly. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay. Oh, by the way, this isn't here, but I'm just going to bring this up real quick because I heard it. Um, apparently, Google is going to have some announcement this coming week about um, a, a video console. game. Like I heard that they were making a game console. Netflix yeah. for games or something like that <laughs> that they're doing. Ooh, that, like a service, like a streaming yeah, service. Yeah, a gaming service. And it could shake everything up. It could change everything. And I, there's nothing about it yet, so we'll probably talk about this next week. But apparently Google and even Apple is considering jumping in on the video game um, market as well. So this could be the year of like a huge shakeup in the industry. Mm, just wanted to throw that out there now. Uh, we will cover that probably on next week's podcast. Yeah, Google will unveil new gaming hardware. Oof. This is going to be crazy. Console war reignited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Google has entered the fray. <laughs> um, okay. Last thing wanted to go over. Uh, Square Enix is apparently restructuring their company after a disappointing quarter three. Uh, put this on the screen here. Um, I'll just kind of read <clears throat> some of the article here. <clears throat> it seems that gaming companies are restructuring left and right this year, shortly after the Activision Blizzard news, that, you know, debacle f- where they announced uh, the mobile Diablo game. <laughs> oh my gosh. Square, yes. Square Enix is following suit with a plan to consolidate after a disappointing, or after disappointing quarter three results. According to its financial report for the ninth, the nine month period that ended on de- December 31st, 2018, profits had fallen by 60% from the year before. Whoa. During the investor call, President Yosuke Matsuda uh, mentioned a restructuring, but we've recently learned more about the situation. Here's the quote from the call. As of quarter three of fiscal year 2020, we plan on reorganizing and consolidating the 11 existing business divisions at Square Enix into four business units in order to increase the efficiency of our workflows, make more effective use of our resources, and consolidate our expertise with the aim of improving profitability. For context, this response was to a question that asked about Square's Q2 initiative to focus on smartphone games. For now, uh, Square en- was it Square Enix that recently announced that game called Last Idea? This is not even a joke, dude. Are you serious? I am not even joking. Is this Square <laughs> I Enix? Haven't I haven't heard of that. Dude. Yeah, Ross. <laughs> yes, this mobile phone RPG called Last Idea from Square Enix. Yeah. I, I, I literally could not believe that. <laughs> it's like, what the fetch? Kubi. Last Idea. Yeah, oh my gosh. That's Last crazy. idea. Isn't that like anyways. <laughs> oh, movie. Oh, whoa, weird. It's just uh I don't, movie? I don't know how what? self-aware they are with that, but like I would hope that they know how meme that is. <laughs> yes. Especially, Especially for like Final Fantasy or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> come on. It was weird enough when um when Last Story came out. Uh, yeah, you know, Obisakaguchi made a game called Last Story, and I was like, "That's basically Final Fantasy, right?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now right. they have their final idea, last idea. It's oh, crazy. Anyways, goes on to say, uh, quarter three saw the release of Just Cause Four, Dragon Quest Builders Two, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Unfortunately, none of these titles made up for losses year over year. I mean, those are some big, uh-huh. uh, big games that were released in quarter three, um, yeah. and it, to me. 
what th- their response to this makes sense. I mean, they had 11 existing business divisions and Square Enix, while they've been publishing Eidos games for a while, yeah, um, like uh, uh, Deus Ex, Tomb Raider, yeah. Tomb Raider, stuff like that for like Hitman. a Western audience, Hitman, Hitman yeah. and Just Cause, yeah, um, and those were those were pretty successful in mm-hmm. uh, the initial reboot of um, Tomb Raider and stuff yeah. like that. They have sh- showed continually. This like oh we sold only like three or four million units that's like way under what we thought. They've <laughs> like been having, doing this for twenty years now. <laughs> having terrible uh, expectations and obviously yeah. spending way too much money. Yeah. And developing these games when there isn't the audience for it that they were hoping for. So, I don't know. They're also not. When you think of Square Enix, you don't think of Tomb Raider. Like just off the top of your head, you think Final Fantasy, you think JRPGs, and so there might be. Yeah, I don't know, kind of an issue there with uh, them focusing with so many different business divisions on so many different things. So consolidating to me makes sense. The the next part of the quote says, we think the main reason is that we're unable to provide an experience that was novel enough that players could choose to buy them before any of the other numerous major titles on the competitive landscape. Nice. Our games aren't novel enough. Good job. Um, Also... While it's true that we are seeing a shift away from sales of boxes to digital downloads, with this many titles competing with one another, initial sales are definitely an important element in increasing user awareness. For that reason, we do need to engage in a certain amount of advertising just ahead of a new title's launch. Uh, That said, this quarter saw the release of Kingdom Hearts 3, which topped sales charts in the UK. So quarter four may fare better upon uh, results. The company also plans to announce multiple new titles at E3 2019. So they're focusing more on mobile games. Like last idea. <laughs> <laughs> last idea. Oh, they're way too smart, man. And they're consolidating their business divisions. Yeah. And uh, we'll see what effect this has on major titles in production right now, like Final Fantasy VII Remake. and Yeah, stuff right now. I, the, the, I wouldn't assume this would have much effect for a couple of years, though. Like, it takes sure. a while. A game like Final Fantasy Remake that's already been in production for so long is like, well, I don't know that these guys are going to change it much or that consolidating Square Enix is going to do much there. Uh, but maybe for games that haven't yet been shown, like Final Fantasy 16 or something like that, uh, they could be doing some uh, some stuff behind the scenes. That I, I just think it'll be a while before we actually see the effect of this. Hmm. Okay. They're too big of a company. <laughs> yeah. It just takes a long time to make changes like this. Okay. That is it for stories of the week. We are moving now into our main topic. All right. Which is going to be on user interface, UI design. Um, Kaysen actually does this for it, an occupation. His That's my job. Occupation. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what do you do? So what I do is I do user interface for website design and for um, interactivity specifically along the lines of like I work for an educational company and we do a lot of stuff for elementary schools and um, we have like an online publication that kids, it needs to be accessible for kids and teachers, which is like a really <laughs> hard thing to do. Cause some of the yeah. kids we do stuff from K through eight, I think. And so it's like, five years old to 14 year olds and then the teachers, which, you know, I don't know the age range of them, but it's not, you know, 
basically five-year-olds to 70-year-olds need to be able to use this product. <laughs> and so it's really hard, but we got we, we work with the colors and the buttons and okay, if this is all in text, then it's gotta be, you know, we gotta make sure that the people who are reading it are the people who are meant to be even capable of reading right now. So this isn't for the kindergartners. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, I basically uh, will lay out the designs of the website of the programs of all the stuff that we use, even on the back end when we create the articles and tests and everything, I create uh, help uh, design the software that is then used by other people in our company. So, so in other words, Kason is an expert on UI <laughs> design, something like that. <laughs> I'm glad he is with me because I am not an expert, but I have done some research and I've had intuitive ideas about UI design, which come from two decades worth of playing JRPGs and navigating menus. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Everyone here, know, whether you know it or not, you know about UI and UX. It's just locked away somewhere. And when things don't make sense to you and you don't know what to do, that's because the UI was poorly done. And you may yeah. not be able to connect that immediately in your head, but that's why. <laughs> so let's talk about, first of all, you just use the term UX. Um, yes. So let's let's turn about, talk about the difference between UI and yeah. UX. Now, um, go ahead. Yeah, so user X is UX is user experience, right? Yeah. It encompasses everything. <laughs> like not a lot of times you think of a user interface as being the menu, right? And generally mm -hmm. speaking it is, but it's also any information displayed on the screen, anything that's used for the uh, player to get an idea of what's going on. It's just the display of information. But UX includes like the controller and it includes like your character. Where do you need to stand in front of a door? to open the door in your video game. If you're over here, it won't work. If you're over here, it won't work. Like the UX is the whole experience of the game being crafted mm. for the user. And uh, it's something that most art in general um, has a hard time with because art is uh, typically a, an expression of the creator. It's not focused on the user very much. <laughs> but sure. if you want to have good UI or UX, you need to focus on the, the the end product, the person who's using the product. That's who you need to gear everything towards. And artists, I think, sometimes have a hard time with that. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I guess I guess the way I would break that down is the UI are are the visual elements that make up the user interface. Yeah, the use UX refers to the the architecture or the map of where that information is stored. In, sure, in addition to what you're saying, like yeah. how is the player going to interact with it? Right. Mm. So imagine uh, a blank screen, and they sort of like map out with squares and and uh, different shapes. This information is going to go here. This information is going to go here, and this information is going to go here. That's the user experience. Where is it all located, right? Yeah. And how is the player going to navigate to it? How large? Well, that's more UI. But in any case, where yeah. the color, font, size—that's all UI. But yeah, the the structure or architecture of where this information is going to be stored and how it will be accessed. Yeah, like is, like the big picture. <laughs> Is user experience. That's UX, yeah. They, so the, UX people aren't usually artists. They're not usually yeah. actually designers. Yeah. They, they do QA testing. They do like AB testing. They, they get focus groups and they're like, what do you think about this? And people go in and they just, they film all these sessions and they just take notes. And it's like, hey, people really gravitated towards it being in the top left somewhere. 
right? So, okay, so this item, this thing should be in the top left. And then the UI people take that and run with it and do whatever, you know, they can with that information. Yeah. Two things that are brought up, and these are things we were going to talk about, but let's let's just uh, acknowledge them now. Lego Dog says, how important would you say it is to work on the UI early in development? Is it better to work on it early or is it okay to put that down uh, later down the checklist? Again, I think the UX people should be fairly early on. Yes, UX right at the beginning. Absolutely. They need to and be in the, the planning U- stages. So that they know where the information is going to go. And the yeah. UI, which is actually applying the visual polish to all of that, can come later down the line. But as, as sure. long as the designers of the game know how the user experience is going to work, then you'll, you'll be in good shape. That should come yeah. early on. Now, Dude McGuy's question is, is a good one. addressing it to you. I've heard that website design, uh, for website design, everything the user is trying to find should only take three clicks at most to get to. Is this true? This is true. However, <laughs> it is an ideal that is harder to attain than you think. Because any, any UI or UX person will be like, oh, easy, three clicks, whole website, anything's accessible, can do, right? However, you've got other people you need to make happy, not just the user. So the UX people have to also take into account the company, the salespeople, the board, the president and CEO of the company. What do they want the website to do? And it's easy enough to just let the user get wherever they want. But let's say that you're, the president of the company is telling you as a UX person that you want they want the user to do this, 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 and this. And when they do this, this happens. And when they do this, this happens. And it leads to this. And there's a whole chain. And it's it's a mess. But it's the job of the UX person to now figure out a flow chart to put all of it together. Because you're not just making the consumer happy. You also have to make the investors happy. You have to make your company happy. You have to make the sales commissions and all, you know, you have, you have to make everybody happy. It's not just about the user. If it was just about the user, three clicks, easy, easy, easy. Let the user choose where they want to go. However, the investors want us to funnel the users to certain places that maybe the users don't want to go ends up taking more clicks, but it's like, it's like the company Ikea. makes more money. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a hard balance to actually do that three click. Design your website like Ikea, dude. You just make them walk through every single <laughs> section of the whole store. You force them to see. They just want light bulbs, but you're going to make them walk through. You got to go through the furniture. You got to see the mattresses. You got to see the TVs. You got to see bad, everything. Bad UX. However, it results in, I'm sure it results in higher sales, in which case bad UX is good for the investors. So it's <laughs> Um, okay, so there's the difference between UX and UI, and we'll get more into um, clicking three times to get to things Yes. Uh, in a minute. Um, I think it's probably a bigger problem to integrate that into what Kaysen's doing into website design. Yes. I think that more video game <laughs> yeah. companies understand they're trying to please their user. Exactly. The video right. game end product is directly tied with the sales. Though, and for most things it is, but... Anyway. Though with things like microtransactions, uh, we are starting to see more invasive type UI yeah. uh, uh, design influences that try to yep. lead you into buying things. Well, you know, and that annoys people a lot. It's really annoying because if you're talking three clicks to get somewhere, but if when you pause your game, the first thing that pops up is an ad and you say no thanks, 
you already used one click. So you got two yeah. clicks to get wherever else. So yeah, it is annoying. But but generally speaking, especially in like, um, you know, the, the old school RPGs that we cover on the channel a lot, three clicks in through your menu should get you to where you need to go yep. and nothing beyond that. Otherwise it starts to oh, get like too much. It does. But I also remember one other thing with the company I work for, because we do elementary school stuff, we also have to work through the government and the school districts. <laughs> uh, right. And they, so the company wants us to do all these things. The school districts want to make sure we hit all these things. And then the users want to make sure that they can do whatever they want. And anyways, the three click thing's really hard. I'm just saying. It's tough. Lots of, uh, lots of things going on there. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the principles of UI design. Yeah. Um, which is, I would define that as being the art of presenting complex information in a simple and intuitive way. Most importantly, yeah. an intuitive way. You can well look done. at a menu with tons of information on it and understand what you're looking at and what you should do without yeah. paragraphs of tutorial explanations, if, if possible. Now, this is going to depend on the type of game you're making as to how much explanation you're going to need. Um, and this is all about knowing your audience, which is... I would say the first principle of good UI design. Who are you designing this for? Is it 70-year-old grandmother teachers? <laughs> <laughs> Is it five-year-olds who can barely like comp like read at all? Yeah. Um, you know, you have to know who you're talking to. It's where colors um, and shapes and icons are very important when you're dealing with such a widespread. Right. Um, and in addition to this for game design, is this going to be played on the couch with a controller? Mm. Is it going to be played on a PC with a mouse and keyboard? Mm. Is it going to be played on a smartphone where you tap everything? These are all things you need to know because the principles and the art behind how you map out that user experience will be different yeah. depending on the input, depending yeah. on how they're going to interact with it. Um, so that's step one. Um, then the type of game you're making is going to dictate the type and how much information, how much UI you're going to need as well. Mm. So if you're making an MMO or a JRPG or a simulation game... Yeah, you kind of need a lot. Like a stuff flight simulator or let's say even yeah. civilization games or mm. a trading card game like Hearthstone, you're going to need tons of UI. You have information all over the place. It's very complex. There's lots of layers to it. There's strategy. There's all kinds of stuff, all kinds of information the player needs to keep track of and they need to understand in order to play the game efficiently versus a very like narrative-driven uh, experience, maybe like, a, like the old Telltale games, um, Walking Dead and things like that. You could have very minimal uh, UI. There's not a lot of information the player needs to understand. You point and click to move and you click on dialogue options and you watch the story unfold. So sure. you decide what kind of game you're making and that will determine how much information the player needs. Um, then you get into the actual art of how you're going to present this, right? Um, I think the guiding principle at the top should be that you you want your user interface to feel consistent and unified so um essentially you need like a core thematic or a theme that's sort of going to like be consistent across every page or every element of your ui and mm -hmm. that's going to be guided by the brand uh you know is this a science fiction 
uh, shooter? Yeah. Is this a, a medieval fantasy MMO? Uh, is this some sort of like crime, uh, you know, mystery drama sort of thing? Those things are going to inform the look and feel and the consistent uh, unified theme of your your user interface. And that should be hand in hand with sort of like the, the type of game and the story you're telling and that sort of thing. <clears throat> um, now, this is going to apply across all kinds of different uh I guess um, elements of design. It's gonna it's gonna affect your logo. It's gonna affect your typography. So the fonts mm-hmm. that you're using as your headers, your large text, your medium text, your small text. When you're gonna be using italics or bold, all of these decisions need to be made, and there need to be rules set up so that you know we use this font in this type and in this size. As yeah. headers, always. Oh, they call that. Um, <clears throat> I can't remember. Is there a word I for can't it? remember the word. I know. <laughs> no, there's a word. It's to make sure everything's uniform. It's um. I said, why in the world am I forgetting this? Okay. Anyways, they there's have a, a word for it. There's like a sheet that basically everybody yeah. looks at, and it's got all the oh, stuff. Oh, oh, like, oh, the design document. The um, yes, but there, there's a word for it. I can't remember exactly. <clears throat> the word. Actually, it's, it's right here. I'll look for it. I know what you're thinking of too. A style, the style. A style uh, guide. That's what it's called. Style guide, yes. There's a style guide. So the UX and UI people will work together and make a style guide, which is everything needs to look uniform. It all looks like this. Anytime there's text, it looks like this. Anytime there's a menu option, it looks like this. When you click it, it looks like this. When you can't click it, it's grayed out. All that kind of stuff. That's part of a style guide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And every, you should, if you're, if you're working without a style guide, you're, you're in trouble. Well, and it's important for a couple of reasons. I mean, you think about um, the font you're going to use for headers and your main text and stuff like that. <clears throat> All of this stuff is is more subconscious as you, for the user who's experiencing it. But like, if you if you see like a bolded uh, an eighteen point font, you know that that's a category. It's like okay, this is yeah. a category here, and then the text underneath that is going to give me an explanation for that category. So your eye is already scanning across the categories and and is able to instantly recognize that information in that category is what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. rather than having all the text on the screen the same point, same font, same boldness for headers and text. It, it makes it harder to locate. And browse through the information yeah, to get to what you actually It's hard to want. categorize, yeah, because then you have to do it all in your mind, and it's it's difficult. Right. You want to do as much work so that the user doesn't have to. Exactly. So when yeah. you identify all of this stuff with your typography, it makes it easy to browse and and find and locate the information the player really wants to know in the moment that they need it, because that's very important for the user experience. <clears throat> if you're playing a game and you, I don't know how to do this. I'm stuck or I don't understand this. I need to go look up uh, the tutorial for this that I skipped before or something like that, right? You need to be able to locate that as quickly as possible because the user will get frustrated if they can't figure out what they're supposed to do and they will quit the game and walk away if using the interface to find the information they want is too much of a hassle. So it's actually very important. Mm. Um. On top of uh, typography, you have iconography. And this is what Case was alluding to when you have young kids who don't have yes. a large vocabulary, maybe can't read very well. 
um, mm. having icons that make it easy to understand, oh, that's equipment. Oh, that's yeah. my uh, item uh, inventory. Oh, that's my uh, magic. You know, whatever it is, you can see the icon for it and you understand immediately that I, that's what I'm looking for kind of a thing. Yeah. Again, your, your eye is scanning through the screen, trying to locate the information they want. Icons should be able to be easily read and understood. Um, and then color is another really, really big one. Yeah. And for this, I'm going to actually pull up. Yeah, Mike has some pretty good examples of this. Xenoblade Chronicles 1 as an example. So I have that up on the screen now. One thing that I loved about the first Xenoblade was that there were a lot of arts or, or essentially abilities that, the, that mm. the characters learned and that you could level up over time. There was a lot of them. But it was so easy without actually having to memorize Wild Down, for instance, which I have on the screen right now, to memorize that Wild Down slices at an enemy's feet inflicting topple and it has, it's a physical attribute, targets one enemy, uh, it's range and distance. Without memorizing all that information, <clears throat> I can look at the icon for Wild Down, this green sword icon. Okay, again, we're using iconography and color now. Mm-hmm, both. And I, I know because it's green, it's going to inflict topple. Because every ability in the game that inflicts topple is green. And there's no exceptions to that. It's, it's consistently always the green abilities will cause topple. The blue abilities are healing or party buff abilities. So if I need to heal or if I need to put like a protect spell on or something like that, I go to the blue abilities for that. So the icon and the color will let me find what I'm looking for. Uh, the yellow ones will inflict uh, days um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so the color and the icon, the iconography and the color are used in, in an absolutely genius way in Xenoblade to make complex information very quick and simple and easy to yeah. understand, very intuitive for the player, especially if you've never played an MMO style combat system like this before. Mm. Um, you look at like the way that that's mapped out and then you go look at something like World of Warcraft and like just just blasted with information and icons and stuff all over the screen. And this is much easier to pick up for someone who's new than World of Warcraft is. Yeah. So I think Xenoblade 1 does that extremely well. Okay. You know who else just does a super, super awesome job at their stuff is uh, Nintendo. And, you know, part of, part of what is difficult with UI is when you have to make things work for young to old audiences. But at mm -hmm. the same time, if you can figure that out, that's what that's typically the best uh, kind of UI mm -hmm. because it's easily understandable no matter how old you are. And Nintendo is often catering to young kids, but they pride themselves in having a huge, you know, they run the gambit mm -hmm. on ages and, and genders and everybody plays Nintendo games, right? And uh, because they have to include younger kids in that, it, it makes it difficult for them to figure out how to make everything work. But because of that, their menus are always really simple and they're really like in line. They follow their style guides really well and it's really intuitive. Um, so another uh, principle of you good UI is shape language. Um, so the shapes uh, of your windows 
and uh, whether you're using squares and circles, diamonds, you know, the, the type of shapes that make up uh, your windows, those should mean something too. Um, I think it's like on a basic level, squares usually establish uh, like stability. Yeah. So if you have like a square menu, it's like formal, uh, you know, sort of like way of like blocking out this text. Um, mm-hmm. It's meant to, meant to be like this is um, consistent, stable. This is where this information goes, that sort of thing. But if you use a circle, right, that's more used as a way of focusing some your, your attention onto something urgent, right? Um, you know, it could also be used for like uh, uh, wheels for like leveling up. You'll see like, like go around and like wheels, level up yeah. sometimes. But, but a lot of times circles are used to draw your attention to something urgent, like right here, focus on this. You know, when, when uh, someone's drawing on a whiteboard and they want to circle something for emphasis, they'll draw a big circle around it. Like this is important. This is urgent. Like, look at this. Um, it, it's kind of uh, indicative of like a sight when you're like aiming uh, in, in a shooter or something like that. You're really drawing the attention with a circle towards the center of something. Um, diamonds can sort of accent something and, and, and it's not quite the same urgency as a circle, but it still guides your eye to key information that's outside of the normal, stable sort of like information in the, in the square or rectangular menus. So using the right shapes in your UI will also guide the eye in the way that you want the player uh, to be able to find and look for information quickly and find what they're what, find what they're looking for. Yes. Um, and then uh, layout. Layout is is a big part of this too. And consistency in the layout. Um, I, I couldn't think of any examples off the top of my head. Maybe maybe the maybe you have one or maybe the users will. But it, it's always really annoying when you have one screen that has the layout done in a certain way. Maybe you have your header in the top left and yeah. you have information kind of like underneath that. And then in the, in the right side of the screen, you have something else. I don't know if it's maybe um, uh, where you can tab like tabs to like different parts or something like that. But then you go into the next screen and the header is in the bottom right. And the information is over on like the left bottom. And, and then like the tabs are like, it's all shifting. Yeah. Right. I don't and have an example, but I know what you're talking about, and it's freaking annoying. And your <laughs> eye it. is it's like is, um, it's like when you use Photoshop, and then you switch to use Adobe After Effects. And yes, you're using and everything's both, in a different place, and they're different than Photoshop. Your your everything's to the right, but in Premiere or After Effects, everything's to the left, and then that's yeah. where your your banks are. It's annoying. I hate switching between those two. Whereas what you should probably shoot for is like the next screen comes up and it feels congruent in terms of like where the information is located, the layout, like where things are placed, where they're positioned. Obviously you're gonna have different information, but it does feel like a, a new slide came on, not like you have an entirely new page with new color scheme and an entirely different layout and like a different font color and different icons. <laughs> yeah. and, and you have to like learn a whole new like sort of um, economy of sorts of like yeah. how to navigate versus the last page. So consistency yeah. across all these things, your iconography, your typography, your color, your shape language, and your positioning and your layout is really important to not confuse the user so that they can find what they're looking for as quickly as possible. Yep. Um, the last part of this would be motion graphics. 
um, as Kaysen brought up to me uh, w- with animating different pieces of the UI, as Kaysen mm-hmm. brought it to me earlier, this should be subtle. It should not be crazy. Subtle and and fast. Yes, fast. It should not take a long yeah. time. A slow animation that's like, <laughs> it's freaking annoying, dude. Because <laughs> you um, have to wait for it every time. Let's take, let's say, for example, like the Pip in... Um, in uh, Fallout games, he, he like brings up his like watch and like looks at it. Yeah, it, it, that is a quick animation. I think it's less than a second for him to bring it up. But like, if something like that takes too long, right? The yeah. loading time to get and like pull into it, you start to get annoyed, especially for like a a fifty hour long RPG where you're constantly going into time. menus and it takes a long time. You want things to be quick and easy and fast. Um, we have a new uh, viewer here, GS. Magyor, Magyor. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but welcome. How are you? Yeah, cool. Welcome to the stream. What's up? Um, So, but but animation can really help draw the eye. So let's say that you have a screen coming up that has lots and lots of information on it. If you pop that on without an animation, the eye is kind of lost as to where it should go first. Now, in the West, we're sort of trained to go top to bottom, left to right. That's the, yeah. the way like the English language is written. You start yeah, at the left, top, right, top left, bottom. you go to the right, and then you move down, left to right, left to right. So yeah. generally, that's what they will do intuitively first. They will look to the top left and go right and try and find yeah. information. Um, it's different in Japan, where they go top, yeah. down, right, left. Right. Yeah, top, down, right, left. Which is very, very different. We'll talk about that in a minute with some UI from Chrono Cross and Final Fantasy IX. Yeah. But um, so it, so if you know ahead of time, that's where they're going to look first, but you don't want them to say you've, I don't know why you wouldn't. There could be artistic reasons why you'd want the person yeah, to maybe. look at the bottom left first. But yeah. generally, if you're making it for Western audience, you'll want the information they're looking for primarily to be top left first and then go this way. Yeah. But if you don't want them to do that, one way you can guide the eye is to make those elements move in at different times. So if you want them to look at the bottom left first, animate that in first, and then their eye will go there. And then another element can pop in here, and then and then you can know, okay, I'm starting there, then I'm going there, then I'm going there. This is the motion my eyes need to go for the flow of information that they're trying to give to me. So uh, motion graphics and animation can really help you if you do it quick. Um, to yeah. subtly guide the eye to where you want it to go and to create the divisions in your layout, right? So you have this division. Uh, I'm going to look at my own camera here so I can see. So let's say this division of the screen up here in my corner has one piece of information, and that's divided down the page in half, and like down here there's another division, and over here there's like a third, or maybe that's split into like three different ones or something, right? Yeah. You animate this one in first, they look there, and then this one comes in just like a quarter second later, they go there to there, and then this, these parts come in last, and you know, okay, I need to select my character first, then I need to indicate, okay, which piece of equipment, like which body part, and then we come over here and we see the list of all the different equipment, right? So it's like character first, animation, uh, body part for equipment next, then we come into the list of equipment and we select. So we go bam, bam, bam. So you animate it in like that in a way to trains their eye on how they're supposed to go about navigating those menus. Yeah. Okay. So once you apply 
all of those principles together, you should have an, an intuitive interface using the right icons and, and everything else so that the player can pause, go into a menu, and intuitively, without even really being told what to do, understand where to go. Now, this is the, the difficulty of making that happen as a UI designer is going to depend on are you making an MMO or are you making, uh, I don't yeah. know, like... How, how much info do players need yes. when they're just on the screen? How much do they need? Super Mario Brothers? Not too much. Coins, time limit, I guess. But like World of Warcraft? Yeah, <laughs> you've got to know all sorts of stuff, especially as you're interacting with other people. There's like a little chat box and yeah. Um, Colin Peluso asks, would you say that there's a science behind comparing the various Facebook and YouTube layout evolutions, or is it just random? I remember people used to complain about how Facebook's UI would change every other month. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really looked into I I've heard about it now. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. I can't remember what it used to be, which I guess is a good thing. As far as I can t- as far as I can remember it it's kind of looked the same way forever, <laughs> but I could be misremembering like crazy. I do know for YouTube though, uh, the videos used to be in kind of a different spot. Um, the videos were, well, no, they were kind of where they are, but the title was above the video, not below. So nowadays, if you go to YouTube, you'll see the title underneath the video. It used to be the mm-hmm. title was on top. Um, and YouTube, I guess they decided that, hey, when people click a video, they've already read the title. They clicked the title. Right. Ah, uh, right. And so when you go to the page, what's the very first thing? What you saying? Top left. What's the top? What's the very first thing they should look at? It should be the video. It, the, the there shouldn't itself. be another redundant piece of info or anything like that. It's the video is the top thing that loads, other than their their menu interface for like you know the home menu and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, my assumption is that would be why they changed that. Uh, I don't remember most of their other changes though. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, that is a good point though. I forgot that yeah. the title of the video used to be on top of the it video, used to be there does, and there's no reason for it to be there. So that does make sense. Yeah. Okay. Now that we've gone over all of this, let's go ahead and jump over to some examples. Um, now I was a big, I, I was a bit critical of, um, Chrono Cross, uh, for its UI design. This was something that I got some, some clap back about when I talked about it. I think ah. it was largely because I hadn't really thought through all of this. I was just complaining about the UI and saying, like, it was unintuitive. I did not understand what the freak I was doing for, like, three hours. Right. And people were like, what are you talking about? It's so easy. I was like, five. I was like, five, and I figured it out, okay? <laughs> so you're just a moron. Hey, sometimes right? kids figure things out quicker than adults. Come on. That is true as well. But <laughs> now that we've actually... Now that I've actually looked into this, I, I think I have a much better understanding of the parts of, of Chrono Cross's UI that I think are actually pretty poorly done. And I can put a better objective sort of um, criticism and analysis on it into words that I think will be more clearly understood. Hmm. So, you know, we, we, let's just take a look, first of all, at um, some of the uh, aesthetic choices chosen for Chrono Trigger's UI just when you're, like, in conversations. Uh, here at the beginning, I'm, I'm at 39 seconds into the video case. And <clears throat> we have a text box with kid. So we have, you know, this, these are common tropes of JRPGs of the time period, text-based. Um, we have the yeah. character's portrait inside of a rectangular box with the font that, you know, obviously is their dialogue. Um, 
you know, generally those boxes, especially for Final Fantasy, were always blue, like a blue gradient color. Um, in Final Fantasy oh, 9, yeah. they changed that to gray with the texture for some reason. Mm-hmm. But here, they have this bamboo framing um, and, and sort of like a, a wooden texture behind it, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, this makes a lot of sense because it's an island theme. The, the entire game world takes place on this archipelago, uh, this chain of islands. And it's got that kind of like chill islander sort of vibe to everything, right? So mm-hmm. I, I understand why they did this. This is a, a choice that makes sense. Now, when we actually get into the menu itself, when you click triangle and you go into the menu, which happens for me in this video around one minute, at exactly one minute, mm-hmm. we come into the top menu. Um, now, one thing that Kaysen pointed out when we were talking before this is that the layout here um, could be influenced by the, the Japanese what would you call that? The way that their eye will flow down a page. They're, they're writing the way they read. It's, it's just different. Right. So it's top, right, it's top, right, down, down, and then right left. to left. Yeah. Versus let's say final fantasy nine top left to right to the right. And that's where the menu is. Exactly. Yeah. So, it's almost the same. It's just rotated 90 degrees for the way that the Japanese read. So anyways, uh, let's just take a look at this, um, this page right here, right? Just the top page in Chrono Cross. First of all, um, they have an interesting aesthetic choice here with the, mm-hmm. the actual, like, uh, what do you call What would you call it? What's the term for, like, status, elements, equip, items, like the different things you can select? I um, don't know. <laughs> well, anyways, options. whatever you call that. The options, okay. Yeah. They have a, a, the hand of like a clock is sort of like the idea that that will rotate down and, and make the selection on the options. So yeah. that pointer is like the hand of a clock, which is the, the time theme. The it's word chrono, chrono yeah, cross, yeah. right? Chrono yeah. trigger has to do with manipulation of time. Yeah. So, you know, that, that to me makes sense. What I really don't understand is the choice for the background texture and for me this yeah. is a couple of reasons yeah. it's this ugly brown just like almost like sandpaper texture yeah kind of like sandpaper yeah. yeah um and i'm not sure why like i i almost think it's supposed to be beach sand but i maybe that's true i can't tell because it looks like these things are just kind of drawn maybe it's stone i i really can't tell what it is now you know getting this tactical about like, oh, why did they choose that could seem nitpicky, but there is a reason for it. The reason my eye is drawn to that is for two reasons. One, um, generally for backgrounds, you want them to fade into the background. Yeah. You don't you, want you a don't... high contrast background. Right. And there's some high to... contrast here. There's high contrast in it and the color really clashes it's against some of the yeah. other user interface elements that I'll get to in a second, but it's high saturation. It's not, you want to, you want it to be dark or if it's bright, you're going to use dark text or usually faded, maybe a vignette on it. Um, and, and low saturation, low contrast (laughs) so that all the elements in front of it will pop on the top of it. Right. And to me, the elements on top really clash with the background in a very ugly way. Um, yeah, not the only red because, on that brown looks 
very not good. Yeah, not only because it's a high, um, it's it's a higher uh, saturation, but a high contrast in it too. So the the bright parts to the dark parts are have a large uh, contrast in them, and so your eye is sort of like captured by that, and it, and it clashes with the elements. Now, um, let's move forward a little bit to an element where I want to show this off. Okay, so right here. If you were to click on, what did I click on? I clicked on elements, which takes you to use or allocate. I'll get to that in a second. As, as one of your clicks has been used to get into the menu, so that's one click. The second click was used to click on elements, but instead of taking us into the element menu, it took us to another choice of use or allocate. So two of our clicks have been used. And then if you click allocate, it then you're still in the same menu. It highlights one of the character portraits. Right, so we've had our third click, and now we have to choose a character. But very, this for a long time I didn't see this. Do you see the red arrow? Oh my gosh, yes, I see it. Is that That's about one twenty into the video? Left. Yes, you can click left on the D pad, and it'll bring up all of your characters that are not in the active party into oh, okay. a list. That's a small red arrow. Huh. Now, not only is it red, which does not contrast with the background and is harder right. to see, but it's tiny. Yeah. It's so small and it's easily missable. And for the longest time, I had no idea because I just didn't see it that you could left click there and, and you would bring up a list of your, your party members that are outside of the active party. Mm. But this isn't even <laughs> the worst of it yet because at least yeah. there is an arrow indicator there. At least it exists. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Right? So let's. So you click on the character that you want to allocate the elements to, which brings you into your fourth click now, which is one beyond what your target should be. But now we come into the element menu. Um, again, this is sort of, to me, a little bit of, a, 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 of maybe that Japanese influence because you start in the top right menu. Your arrow indicator starts over there. So... You, you select from the box in the top right rectangle in order to place on the character which is in the left. So you're going right to left with this. Uh, now, again, that's, that's more of a yeah. cultural difference. So that was intuitively huh. a little bit different. I intuitively, when I first played, was like, uh, oh, I need to equip by selecting this stuff that is on the left side because there are actual elements on the left side right now. But those are the ones that are equipped currently. But I thought uh, that that was my list and that I needed to move them over to the right. And again, that's right. because I'm reading left, right. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, there's a couple of options here. You can remove all of your elements at once or just remove one at a time. And you see the red indicators next to those again, which will take you to more options. If I fast forward a little bit through this to auto allocate, where it'll just assign elements on all of your characters randomly, or just tell it to fill in the blanks of what's currently uh, not allocated. So anyways, beyond that though, and, and this is a little bit harder to see. Uh, I have the, use the interface of YouTube, so I'm going to have to play the video for a second. But it's kind of hard to see that L1 and R1 at the very bottom mm. of the, the left box there. You see that? And do you see how the L1 blends in color-wise so well yes, to the gray behind it? The character, yeah. It's hard to see those things. Your eye is not drawn to that, especially with the use of color. The color draws your eyes to the elements themselves. 
the red that's on the tablet, the blue that's on the ice lance. Um, again, these colors clash really hard with the background. The background's too highly saturated um, and, and too high contrast. And, and the, the, the most confusing thing about this, though, is that L1 and R1 are down. You finally find that. But as, as is the case with other RPGs, that will change the character. So you switch over to the other character with R1 and mm. L1. Now, go to, let's see. Let's go to, because um, I, I took out all the, okay. Now I'm, now I'm kind of selecting. If you go to about 3 minutes, 51 seconds in. This is where I'm starting to like fill in. So I've moved, I've purposefully removed all the elements so that the elements now appear in the right, the, yeah, the top that. right box, right? So that's where you're selecting from and you're going to put them into the slots on the left, which is the empty slot for the character. So I've, I kind of have figured that out now, right? But here is the biggest, biggest cardinal sin of this user interface to me. We use the, the red indicators for arrow saying we can click right or left. Do you see the little slots, tiny little slots that appear kind of over the face of Surge yeah. there? Yeah, I was wondering what those were. That appear in columns. So yeah. we have three, these vertical columns yeah. that have three slots in them. Those are the element level where you can see that is written kind of at the top of the border of the box. You see how it says element level one? Yeah. You have to press... Well, first of all, you have to you have to select um, you have to you see the red indicator that's pointing like the larger red triangle indicator that's pointing like inward to the elements box. Yeah, yeah. That's obviously where your cursor is. So you have yeah. to move the cursor into the left box, into the element level box, and then you have to press right or left on the D-pad to switch between the columns which are the different element levels. Element level one, element Those level two, are tiny. element level three. They're wow. so small and there's no red indicator telling you you can press right or left. Wow. So these three slots that are big towards the bottom of the box are coinc coincide with those three slots that are highlighted on Serge's face there as the mm. first level elements. So the next column will have three as well. The next column three, the next column three. And then the fifth level column only has one slot yeah. in it. And you press right and left in order to navigate between those. Yeah, it's very, it's very bad. This is among the worst that I've seen, honestly. So and sure. I mean, if you play things as a kid and you don't really know any better and it's, you know, whatever, you can figure it out and figure then it's it easy out. for you. Yeah. But the fact that it's, I don't know, that doesn't mean that it's simple UI. <laughs> So, let's go into a battle real quick. If you scoot forward again to, uh, let's see, it's probably around like seven minutes, 45 seconds. Yeah, I'm there. Um, so we see uh, the battle menu here, right? We'll kind of stay away from the field effect on the top left. That's something else to describe. Basically, the power of your elements is more powerful if the color is if all three of those are filled in with the right color. So if all three okay. are red, then your red elements are more powerful. Sure, and that's just something that you play the game and figure out, right? If it's the opposite color, like the opposing color, which would be blue, then your red elements will be less powerful kind of a thing, right? Sure. But if you look down here, you see the next to, uh, you see Surge's name. Underneath that, it says level zero. 
At first, I thought that was supposed to be like the character's level, like the level of the character. But they don't have a traditional leveling system in this game at all. There are no levels associated with the characters. Um, So it's the the items. No, it's not items. Oh, it's It's not because it has that. It's the element level. Oh, that's. I guess that's what I meant to say. So you see the slots again with yeah, the, the columns, four and then the five only right? one. So you have to attack in order to un- unlock which element you can use at which element level. So when you do one attack and it lands successfully, you unlock level one elements. If you land a second attack, level two elements come up. Uh, right. Huh. So that's kind of the idea. So as you watch this now, I'll go into the attack, and I'll hit the enemy. Um, and I only do level one attacks, but if you do a level two attack, it gains you two, right? And level three would give you three columns. I see that. But um, essentially, you have to unlock which level of elements you can use by using these attacks. And you see they light up like that. And now it says level one. So that means level one elements are available. Attack again, level two hmm. elements are available. And so I went all the way up to level five in this example um, in order to then navigate... Uh, again, with the uh, hold on, I gotta wait till I actually finish up here. I know, it's and, and by the way, the stamina in the bottom that's how many attacks you can do, right? So, a, uh, a level one attack takes away one stamina, so you start the battle with seven, or you start the turn with seven stamina. You can do like that. up to seven attacks, right? So, anyways. You have to manage your stamina, get, unlock the element level you want, and now, again, do you see how there are no red indicators on the right or left of the columns to no, tell yeah. you you can navigate left and right with the D-pad? All of this stuff was so fetching confusing to me. I had no idea how to navigate this as just picking up the game for the first time. I find it to be incredibly unintuitive. Now, once you figured it out, is it easy? Yes, because... It's not the fact that the information is complicated. It's just the way it's presented. It is the UI design that is unintuitive and that does not like lead my eye in a way that makes a lot of sense. So anyways. But once you know where to find the information. Yeah, then it's easy. Then you know where to find the information. It's no big deal. But it's just it just sucks right off the bat. Yeah, Yeah, most UI is generally for for beginners right i mean yeah you get used to stuff eventually but um generally speaking especially ui for a website i don't know unless it's a website people go to all the time you want to make sure ui your ui works for somebody who goes there for the first time right that's like that's the the real test and so for video games that's how it works too now let's take a look at xenoblade chronicles one again first of all much cleaner just like looks a lot more aesthetically pleasing. But a big part of that is the fact that the textured background, again, a tan or brown color, is desaturated. And you use these colors on these icons to really pop the eye to the things that you want to see. It's really low contrast, too. Yes. Now, um, let's bring up like a different page here. There was something I wanted to bring up. So when you're leveling up an art, right, look at the use of color. First of all, they really uh, go to one minute and eight seconds. You'll see what I'm talking about, Kason. Okay. So, do you see how they they essentially like really faded out the background? It's like dark. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So that they have huge contrast with the information you're looking at here. Now, look at the way they use shapes. This this arrow that's in red, which mm-hmm. gives you the required ability points you need in order to level up, and it points over to that one. So it's like, this is where your backslash is now. This is the amount of damage it does. It's cool down and all of that. 
And over here, backslash, now we see in blue is highlighted what's going to change, right? Uh, the, the amount of damage is going to go up into that range. So instead of 570 being the lowest, we now have 627 as the lowest. And at highest, mm -hmm. 746 before it was 678. So we have a higher range of damage, and the cooldown is a little bit slower, almost almost uh, about half a second slower. Or faster, I should say. It's it, you, You'll get the ability again quicker. You don't have to wait 20 seconds, you wait 19 and a half seconds. Now, the color of the red arrow pointing to indicates, here's what you're going to get now, right? Pointing over here. See, it's going to turn into that. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, the, the, when you play it, the indicator, basically what you can click, is like a green arrow that animates and glows. And it says, here's what you are going to choose, this or this, right? Mm. Now, another good example of the way that they use their arrow indicators. I mean, you can see it here, like how they're using green. The and, left, and, right, yeah. Yeah, the left, right. It pops because it's green on brown and tan, not red. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there was Brown is already example. kind of a reddish hue, sort of. So like a blue or a, or a green works better on brown. There was an example I had. I'm trying to find where it was, but it showed... Uh, navigating to another page and it has a big green icon pointing that way. Anyways, you get the point though. The color choice is much, much better in terms of like drawing. Your oh, here it is. So if you go to four minutes and 11 seconds, right? Yeah. You have those green arrow indicators on the left and right showing that mm -hmm. you can switch the page to the left or the right and the green yes, and they're big pops, and yeah. pops and it's large and it pops against the background. The color choice is well made. Yeah, this is so a very simple menu right here. Much, much better. And again, you have your iconography, your typography. Everything here is coming together. Uh, animation, the motion of it all to create one of the smoothest user, uh, user interface, user experiences, I'll put it that way. One of the smoother user, uh, user experiences I've ever had with an RPG versus one of the roughest in Chrono Cross. Yeah. For me, Chrono Cross was ugly aesthetically and had missing elements that made it difficult to know how do I switch what am I, what am I even looking at? Yeah. <laughs> what what do those slots and columns like even represent? Like what is this? Right? The, there is one thing that I want to bring up. Um a couple comments here have mentioned how um with Xenoblade, there's a lot of text that to read within this menu. Um UI isn't so much about what is being shown. It's more about how it's being shown. So it just so happens in Xenoblade that there is a lot of stuff that you need to know. Um, that information's here. It, it, there is a lot of it, but it doesn't, it's not confusing. It doesn't, it's not a problem in terms of user interface because user interface is how you get here and, and like how the information's presented, not what the information is. It, you know, there could be five times as many words on each side and that's the necessary information for the game. Not sure. necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily be bad UI, the fact that there's that much info. The, the question right. is, how do you get to that info? How, yes. um, how understandable is the info? How accessible, how, how intuitive is it to know that when you do this, you're, you, if you have 200 AP and you level up and then this is the result, um, that's what UI is. UI isn't the game or the information. UI is how the game and information are presented. So yes. I just want to clarify that real quick. While this may yes. look complicated, you good UI can still look complicated. 
It's yeah. just complicated information. As long as you know what to do next, that yes. means the UI is, is, it works. As long as you know how to do, how to perform the tasks you need to perform, the UI has done its job. And in my personal philosophy, UI should not be something that needs to be tutorialized. Like yeah. UI <laughs> exactly. should be so intuitive that you can navigate menus without having to be told how to navigate menus. Now, if your menus fairness, are so games... confusing that you have to be told how to navigate them, then you have a problem. Because the, the info in there should be tutorializing the game. <laughs> this is how you... Fun this is how the game functions. This is what these menus are for. But if you have to be told how to navigate the menus themselves, then there's a whole layer of, of unneeded complexity that the player will go, I don't like this. This is too complicated. I'm going to yeah. do something else. You run that risk. Video games run that risk with, with having poor UI, especially when there's so many games, especially indie games. It's like if you have bad UI and it's like, how do I do this? Ah, I'm just going to do something else. Um, one thing, though, because Colin Peluso did mention that a lot of the text... There's a lot of text and it had the same color. It's I just want to hammer this home real quick. It is good UI to have because what's let, go back real quick. Go back to like the one minute mark, Mike. Okay. Hold on, let me pull it up on the screen again. Y yes, there is a lot of text, right? And it is essentially all the same color. However, <laughs> there is some text that is not that same color. And it just so happens that the blue text is the important text. Yes, that's where that's, your eye needs to go. Exactly. The, the fact that everything else is the same color is actually good UI because that is not important information. None of it changed from left to right. You, it could be grayed out. It doesn't matter. Nothing is affected with that text. You can sit there and read it if you want. It's not bad UI. It's just information. Uh, but then the blue text Boom, that tells you something's different, and it's it your eye is drawn immediately to that, and that is the difference. That's what makes it good UI, despite the fact that all the text is the same color. The few words there that aren't the same color are numbers, I guess. Um, those are the important ones. Nothing else here is important on the image. Also keep in mind the style guide. <laughs> Colin, for... <laughs> I'm just responding to your comment. <laughs> <laughs> also, keep in mind the style guide happening here with how the text is used. The headers backslash have a gray shape behind them with white yes. text. And that's how you know the category of what we're talking about. Then we have the black text underneath that, which is then uh, a description of what backslash is. That is then divided by a gray line. And we yeah. have the bullet points that and go they're into alternating all the attributes. background like stripe yes. pattern, which is just visually easier to to read so it's it's easier to, to distinguish yeah, the header the, dis the the description of what that header is than to all the attributes of that uh art right all of that is subdivided in a way that is intuitive and easy to follow and like Kaysen is saying the fact that it is all in the same color is important because we need to draw the eye to what's changing exactly that's the important stuff good ui colin so this is good UI. he uh he concedes Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm just, uh, it's, it's a joke. We're just having fun, but yeah, this is good UI. I mean, it's simple and they did a lot of things right here. Um, I just want real quick to say thank you to days man 31 for the subscription, uh, through yes. Twitch prime. Thank you days for the subscription. Appreciate it. Oh. Um, and real Dracula man said this podcast is yes. going to be hell for people listening audio only. I apologize. There's no way we can do a UI conversation without, <laughs> without visuals. Watch it, guys. Watch it later if you have the time. 
Yeah, if you're listening to this audio only and, and you're having trouble following what we're saying because you can't see it visually, come visit uh, the YouTube channel, Resonant Archive. Yeah, um, Resonant Archive on YouTube, yeah. On YouTube, and you'll be able to see kind of what we're talking about. But um, Days Man, Hi, Days Man was... 31 was an audio only until today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, this is important. Video games are visual. That is true. We're talking about a visual medium. You need to be able to see what we're talking about. Anyways, <laughs> so, you know, Again, these are just some of the more basic principles. Obviously, as professional UI designers, you would go into a lot more detail as to why you would choose this shape in your shape language or why you would do this that, color yeah. or something like that. But it's important to understand, I guess, as the layman, right, as someone who at least is talking about it, to to understand the basic principles. And I think that we've pretty much covered uh most of the basic principles of UI design. So when you're when you're frustrated with something in the future, um, I think you can look back on these principles and go, hey, yeah, they've messed up here. This this thing is not done well, yeah. and this is why, right? And it doesn't make the ba- the game a bad game. It's just no confusing, and they should have spent more time helping making it a little bit more user friendly. And that's you know, but I will say there's some good games that have bad UI, but that that's true so like ui isn't everything right a game can yeah. still be good with bad ui i still think chrono cross is a good game despite mm. its clumsy ui <laughs> yeah. but you can't and, and in on the inverse the flip of that you can't save a bad game with good ui uh, if the game is bad mm, the ui is true. not going to fix that that's but, true ui is <laughs> however however a good ui can keep you playing longer mm. and a good ux too um, and I'm not I'm not saying this to say that another Eden is a bad game. I actually think it's a good game, but I did not like the storytelling in another Eden that that the mobile RPG we talked about a little while ago that was done by the writer of Chrono Trigger and Yasunori Matsuda did the music for it. But the user experience in that game is so good. It is so tight. It is so intuitive to navigate that game. And I was just like, bam, 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 bam. I was going around. I was getting stuff done. <laughs> that despite the fact that I didn't you like how the dialogue yeah. was, I, I was like doing things. And I was I was hooked into the loop of the game primarily because the user experience is so tight in another. A lot Eden. of phone and, games are, are getting this down. Yeah. And the, and the UI is very intuitive. It's very easy to navigate it. So for that reason, I kept playing and I kind of got into, I kind of got hooked into it and I've played it a lot more. Whereas if the UI had been more frustrating to navigate, I would have written the game off immediately because I didn't like the story very much. Um, And now that I've hung in there, I've started to see some of the good parts of what they're doing with the story. And the, the entire reason I feel why I stuck with it was because the UI and the UX were were I mean immaculately well done in another Eden and it was mm. easy to navigate it was smooth it was flashy it was like it looked great and I felt like oh I'm accomplishing something and I didn't have to have it tutorialized to me for an hour first I was able to just do it yeah um that's valuable. so that's that valuable. saved the game for me it saved the experience I would have not continued playing without a great UI. So that's the power of good UI. If you're a bad game designer, your UI might be able to keep people hanging in there long enough to click on one of your <laughs> microtransactions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? That That is actually a principle of UI. There, there are certain, um, depending on, and this could change depending on what your website scheme is, 
But there have been instances where people have um, changed the the color of the shopping, like of the purchase button on a retail website. Mm-hmm. And just by changing the color of that button, they increase their sales by 200%. It's like wow. UI has a huge effect specifically on sales. And mm-hmm. sometimes just the smallest tweak, it, you know, maybe the stuff isn't any better than any other website, but if it's easier to buy it from your website than someone else, they're going to buy it from your website because they get it and boom, they're going to do it. Now we're talking about video games, not sales, but when it comes to the phone games and the, um, what the in-app purchases and stuff. Sure. All of a sudden we are kind of talking about sales, especially with these video game companies. A couple of good questions or uh, just comments in the chat here. I want to touch on. Yeah. We've had a lot of good ones. Um, This one comes from, where did it go? Uh, Light arc. He says, Mike, what are your thoughts on Terranigma's UI? Yeah. What do you think? This is where I'm a, a little bit against the grain. I feel a lot of people don't like the philosophy behind Terranigma, or uh, this is also true of Fable 3's uh, menus, right? The idea of it is we're going to take menus out of it. We're going to let the player navigate as a character through a space to make selections for their armor or their items or hmm. what have you. That was more true of Fable 3 than it was of Terranigma, but it was a similar idea. In Fable 3, you press pause and you go like into a hub area and you run around in the hub and you can look at the map in one section in one room and you can go to like a bunch of mannequins that have armor and weapons and you can go and select the thing you want and put it on. Um, that And items, you know, that's how they manage it. And a lot of people, the reason they don't like it is kind of what you were talking about earlier, Case, and the principle of it being fast being able to quickly navigate to the thing you want rather than running yeah. around in a space to yeah, find it. Yeah, as cool right? as it looks, yeah. when it takes time to do things, it's just annoying. Right. So I will I will submit, I will um I will give everybody who criticizes it, I will give you that point. That is a bad UI right. choice because it's too slow. Yeah. I however feel like in my experience it was made up for with the charm an atmosphere that came along with it. I wasn't concerned about quickly finding it because I just thought it was cool that I'm running around and I'm like taking the immersive aspect of how it worked to me sort of like made up for it. I enjoyed sure. that. I enjoyed then, yeah. I enjoyed <laughs> navigating its quote unquote menu. Yeah. Because it wasn't just a bunch of text that I was moving a cursor on. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. This is where we come to the, 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 differences between ux and ui right yes that system actually provided for for good ux it was immersive and um in terms of user experience it was uh you know it it fit with the game really well and it was fun uh but in terms of ui it broke a lot of rules (laughs) yes yeah and it that's true of terranigma as well Mm. now what in the tutorial for that menu system in terranigma you actually run around with arc inside the different rooms but throughout the game he 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 jumps in the box which i love the animation for you press select and he like jumps and he like like squeezes into this little box it's a really (laughs) cool little animation the animation in the game is phenomenal but then you have an indicator which is the little uh, monster, uh, Yomi. Yomi is the name of the monster that sort of like tutorialized it for you and told you how it works. He works as an indicator in those rooms to go in and land on the mannequins and select the armor or like the slots. So um, it's kind of a, cool. a, a midway point in between a traditional UI and like what Fable 3 did. And in, in 
but I like it. I think there's a lot of charm to it, and the UX is enjoyable for me, even yeah. though it is definitely a slower process, and you'll spend more time in the menu than is necessary if you had used your UI more efficiently, so to speak. Mm. So, so another question here we're getting, which JRPG has the best UI? Oh boy! Um, and it's I Persona Five. It is. I haven't. I haven't played Persona Five, but it looks. I'm great. sorry, man. <laughs> Persona Five probably has the best UI of any any game I've ever played. It is so stylish. It is so anim- stylish, <laughs> and it's really um, the motion graphics on it. I mean, it's very animated. Yeah, it, but it's punchy. It's quick. It's snappy, and it's like boom, yeah. and then the menu's there, you know, and you get a click, and then it's like bam, and then you got another set yeah. of options. It's not slow. It's fast. It's intuitive. It makes sense. It's, oh, it's perfect. Even without having played the game, having seen how those menus look and feel, I would, I would almost just by default agree. Like, yeah. and that's, that, that's even true of the way, like in battle, right? How you have your different battle options and they sort of like, yeah, are in battle and it's to yeah. the character. And the um, attention is just so focused there. It's so well done. Yeah. It's very, very cool. So yeah. I, I would have no problem with, uh, saying that Persona 5 is at least up there in the top yeah. 5 or top 10. Sure. It, it's a game you can look to. If you're making a game yourself, that's a game you can look to to uh, improve your own UI in whatever RPG you're making. Oh, some people here saying Tactics? Final Fantasy Final Tactics. Fantasy Tactics. You know, I don't actually remember it. So to me, that indicates it was serviceable and I didn't mm. have a problem, but it wasn't Yeah, you didn't, you didn't have a problem. That's a good, that's a good sign. That that means it was good, right? If I didn't yeah, have a problem navigating it, you remember when you can't do what you <laughs> want to do. You remember it, it. Out. yes. <laughs> okay, and then there were a couple other questions um, that I thought we would comment on. Oh, Breath of the Wild's UI. We got a few comments mm. about that. Um, I do remember, isn't it? I, I, it's been it's, so long since I played it. It could have been better. It definitely could have been better. Um, don't you have to like, believe- hold a button down in order to like go right and left with the D-pad? Yeah, so if you move with the left stick, you go one item over. You move with the right stick, you go a page over. And if you hit R oh, that's you go right. a whole, oh, gosh, a whole that was like, slide thing over. I didn't like that at all. Because I often found myself just using my left stick because I feel like that's what you should be able to do in a game. And yeah. scrolling page after page after page all the way over to get with to my, uh, my uh, yeah. equipment. You know, I'm like, ah. And I forget, I just forget the RNL because is it R R two or is it R one? I just, anyways, I would just kind of it was it wasn't very intuitive for me. So Breath of the Wild's UI wasn't very good. Um, I believe there is a reason for that, and that reason has something to do with the Wii U gamepad. Um, mm. It was supposed to be accessible through the Wii U gamepad via a touchscreen, which I believe would have made it so much more simple. You weren't su- that was not a menu that was meant to be navigated with a controller stick. Yeah, and they didn't change it when the game was um, on the switch. made Ported. to be just for the Switch, and they just left that be. And I think that was a bit of a mistake. You know, great game, but the UI I think was actually a little, um, probably on the below average of Nintendo's uh, usual. Sure. Uh, now, the last thing I wanted to say on this before you know wrapping up mm. is that if you can take this even one step further, so you've applied all these principles, right? Your user interface is really easy to navigate, very intuitive. But if then you can find a way, if it fits with your game, to work it into the game world, right, for that extra step of immersion, 
And this is what they did in um, Dead Space. Dead Space, in my opinion, has the best user interface in any game I've ever played ever. Because it doesn't have any HUD elements, right? Hmm. Like you have a, a heads-up display where your health yeah. bar is in the top left corner and your ammo is displayed in the, t- the bottom right corner and, right. and things like that. Um, they don't have a HUD in that traditional sense. All of the information like that is displayed on the suit or through the suit that Isaac wears. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he has I like a tube on his back. With, um, with this new Death Stranding game, There's, there appears to be something oh, yeah. of a... Like a health meter on his backpack. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, on Isaac's back, there's a tube of fluid. And as you mm. take hits, the fluid, like, depletes, like, out of the back of it. So it's, like, right on the back of the character, you see his uh, his health bar. And then the stasis meter, which would be, I, I would say, the equivalent of, like, magic abilities in, like, an R- like a medieval mm. fantasy RPG or something. Uh, there's another, again, like, fluid that kind of goes in, like, an, an arc or a circle on his back, and it, that sort of depletes as you use your stasis abilities. And then when you press, when you bring up the pause menu, it's a hologram that appears in front of the character, and he turns his head to the right and looks at it. And it's like he's navigating through that hologram to like go through his inventory and to like mm. look at the map and everything. And it, it all appears as the character's looking at it on the screen. So the characters move to the, like the far left of the screen and it kind of zooms in and to the right of his body, he's like navigating through uh, the menus uh, and going through that. And then um, he'll like close it out. I love it when games do that, when they make the user interface part of the game world it's that extra step of immersion kind of into the story and if yeah. it's possible to do that that's what i prefer generally it's, it's almost the difference between like like having a diegetic music versus non-diegetic yes. music like yes if the menu is diegetic can, yeah yeah if there's a way you can put your ui and make it like diet make it part of the world like you're it, it, it's way more immersive you know mm. one of the worst things um that i guess this is something nintendo does um, and it's fine. Nintendo's UI in terms of the menu interface is always super well done, but it's never, it's, it's never diegetic. It's never part of the world. It's always a separate thing that you kind of navigate to. I don't, I shouldn't say always. Usually that's been my experience. Um, but whenever you can have a diegetic menu where, when it's literally just like right there, or you're, you're looking at the menu as your character's looking at it. That's so immersive. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, two things uh, in addition to that, like, Another reason why it's so cool in Dead Space is because it doesn't stop the game. So the the game doesn't pause. So he's navigating his menu in real time. And if an enemy attacks you while you're in your menu, like it it continues in real time. Ah. Versus say like Resident Evil 4, where you pause the game and everything stops. And you can kind of take a breather and you can go through and like change your equipment out or whatever. But in in Dead Space, it continues to run in real time. And so it's like Mm. he is physically like navigating on this hollow uh, image in front of him so i really love that aspect of it but mm. like another um example where um a, a way that you could do this is say a flight simulator or a shooter where you're in like a vehicle right yeah that way it's all displayed on the right. dashboard if, if yeah, you're in the cockpit sense. it should yeah. all be displayed on a dashboard in front of yep. you all of that information like as if it's you know for the pilot to like look down and reference but then when you're outside the ship if it's a third person view obviously that's got to go up into a hud you couldn't yeah. like integrate it in the same way right but uh, it's that kind of touch i think Star Fox does that i don't remember for sure if Star Fox 64 does that but i think if you switch from the third person view into the cockpit view it displays some of those elements of the ui in on the cockpit like display 
So I really like it when they do stuff like that. Too. Yeah, Star Fox does a good job. And, and especially with the whole like idea of the hologram, just in general. Because Star yeah. Fox has that little, what do you oh, think? The what little do you eye thing. Yeah, the little eye flip in over that goes eye. over. And, <laughs> so that way when you see the um, the aimer and it looks like it's kind of going in 3D space in a weird way that doesn't make sense if it was actually being displayed on his windshield, sure. uh, for lack of a better word. Um that's because he's got that little flippy thing on his eye. And so you are still kind of technically seeing what he's seeing and that stuff's uh, um, displayed via like a hologram kind of thing. And I think that's really cool when they can do stuff like that. Not every game can do it, uh, but games like um, I was going to bring up uh, Arkham Asylum or Arkham Knight oh, yes. or games like, um, Oh shoot. What was that open world uh, PS4 game that everyone was horizon zero dawn horizon zero dawn when you can create, a system within the world, a diegetic. I know they have their menus and stuff, but for the most part, while you're playing the game, uh, you've got your own little thing. UI yeah. that's that's part of the HUD, but that's actually there. You are actually seeing what she sees because she has this weird technology thing that's giving her that insight. Same thing with uh, right. Batman and Arkham Asylum. You see the yeah. outlines of characters and items and doors, and that is UI. UI isn't just you know the pause menus and stuff. It's the whole experience of the game. Um, in terms of the way all that information is displayed. And when you've got games like Horizon Zero Dawn, I know not every game can do this, which is the problem. It's only like the techie futuristic games. But when you can add an element like that to your game, it just makes it so much more immersive. It, it is absolutely beautiful. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I liked the UI in um, in Horizon and in uh, the, the Arkham games quite a lot. Yeah. Okay, well... Oh, and Deus Ex does that very well. Too. Deus Ex does a good job with that too, because of the implants, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Colin Plusa says Top Gun on NES did it perfectly. <laughs> Top Gun. I don't. I never that, played that. That, that game is notoriously um, bad for trying to like land the plane onto the. Um, oh the wait, is that the one? Okay, yeah. I've, and you keep I've crashing seen... in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw Angry Video Game Nerd like yep. ten years ago yep. trying to do that and freaking out because of how hard it was. Yep. And then he, he did a follow-up video to that years later where he tried to do it with the um with the Oh with the glove. glove. He tried to delay it. He did the, it first try. The power glove. He did it the first try. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what's Anyways, that guy doing now? I haven't seen anything from him. Same forever. stuff. I haven't you know, it's yeah. it's kind of gotten old. I think he's yeah. he's oh. kind of tired of it too. You can kind of tell he doesn't have the energy that he used to have. Yeah. So I kind of stopped watching, but uh War says, speaking of HUDs. I like how games like Horizon Zero Dawn and the newest God of War have dynamic HUDs that only pop up when you're in combat. Oh, yeah, so when you're just running around, all those elements fall away. But when you're in battle and you need to see your health bar and stuff like that, oh, I got it you. Yeah, yeah. In. yeah. Then they pop up. Right. So it kind of like frees up the space on the screen for you to observe, especially yeah. in God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn, actually. They have these beautiful landscapes. and they want you Yeah, to the cinematic out. games, I think, yeah. need the UI needs to get the HUD. It just needs to get out of the way for the games that are cinematic. Yeah. So you can see the landscapes. You can see yeah. the beautiful graphics and all the art that went into creating the assets. And then when you're fighting and you need that information, then it comes up. I think yep. that's a good, that's an efficient use of space, which would that's be. That's when you say, oh, look how beautiful this is. And the person next to you goes, what the health bar? And you say, no, not the health bar, boy, the land. <laughs> and it's the land. Know, look past the health bar. Anyways. And then, then, then he says, well, where's the God rays? But I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Um, God uh, rays. That's right. <laughs> dude, McGuy says uncharted games do that as well. Yep. They're very much meant to be yeah. cinematic. Last of yeah, us. The cinematic says that. games. I think they've learned. They, they know. 
get that HUD out. Some people really worked for a long time, especially in shooters, to get away from health bars altogether by just having like blood sort of fill in the screen. Yeah, Call of Duty, I think, kind of started that. So it's like, oh, I'm almost dead. I better like take cover for a second and wait and recover. Anyways, it's cool. It's cool. I think that works pretty well. Um, yeah, it works better than health bar because sometimes health bars are a bit deceiving. It's like, oh, I have this much health left, but what if you get shot in the head? Like you're done. Like it's over. Yeah, you know the headshot. It doesn't matter how much health you have left. So in in some sense, it's like just having health, be knowing that you're in trouble and whatever that means. Get out, find cover. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I think the Gears of War did that pretty well too. Yeah, that game gets hectic like crazy when you're getting (laughs) shot at. Yep. Okay, that's it. Uh, We don't have any community stories for this week. Um, nobody decided to share their work with us again if you would like to if you would if you have a project you're working on and you would like us to share it on the podcast go to our discord server under the state of the art podcast category we have a community stories channel and you can share your work with us there and uh, and we'll share it on the podcast Um, also if you want to ask us additional questions uh, if there's things that you'd like us to talk about things you'd like to know you can always ask um, there as well, or on on Patreon, I create posts for that, and so that's that's where we come up with the community stories section. But this week we have nothing there, so we're going to wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you everybody for watching. Thank you for your support of the channel. And um, I I've been talking about my Terranigma video here for a while, mm. and I, I was kind of stuck on exactly how I wanted to approach it. But today I resolutely arrived at the answer for how I want to start and structure that video. So I'm going to be moving with a full head of steam into this week, and we'll see if I can have it done by the following week. So it uh, could be ready for the, just the very end of February or at least latest the, early, the first week of like March or something like that. Cool. So that's when you can expect to see the next video. Till then, have a good rest of your Sunday and weekend, everybody. For you who are watching this later in the week when it goes up live on YouTube and everything else, have a good remainder of your week. We'll see you again soon. Peace out.